Hey, how are you? Actually, these are the three most useless words in the world of communication. How are you? You know the person asking doesn't really want to know, and you know you're not really telling the truth. So today, we ask a different question. How are you? Really? Her hair is curly, her teeth are pearly. She's got an edge, but she's still pretty girly. Oh, oh, nothing rhymes with Dahlia. So, how are you? Really? This is a, a tough question for me to answer, particularly because I know not everyone wants to hear your real or really answer. Someone will ask you how you're doing as they're walking down the hallway or they see you walking down the street and they'll ask you, hey, how are you? And just as the word great, which isn't even the word to describe how you are, is coming out of your mouth, they're already past your sight line. So what do those three words really mean? If you want to know how I am, here's a little tip. Look at my arm. What? Look at my arm? How does that make sense? You see, I think that we have it all wrong. This whole idea of mental health and how we're framing it, what we're calling it. Mental health isn't just mental health. Mental health is health because it affects your physical health. It affects every element of your health. And I'm getting to that itch thing with this, but every single leading expert in whatever field of medicine, whether you're looking at oncology, cardiology, everyology that there is, who has joined me on my show, has always talked about whatever medical ailment they're talking about, also in reference to mental health, stress, anxiety, this, that, it seems all to contribute to this physical issue that people are experiencing. And so for me, my mental health is really deeply connected to my physical health. And it's not really connected to the words that I'll use to describe it when I tell you how I'm doing. When I even tell myself how I'm doing, I could say great I can tell you as you're passing through the hallway and keep on walking as you're asking, how are you doing? But you wouldn't do that to me. You know, we're talking about somebody else that, that I'm doing great, that I'm wonderful, that I'm lovely. And I could even say that to myself. But if I have all of these scratches that are healing on my arm, and then I reopen them just as they're healing, I know something's, something's up. And this started years ago. I mean, even as a kid, for me, it was getting hives and nobody really realized what that was. You know, maybe she's allergic to something in the air. Maybe, you know, she ate something. But as I got older, I started getting this, I guess you could say itch. And it just happened in my right arm. And you don't even see anything. You don't even see anything there. But from the inside out, it's almost as if that your emotions are trying to escape and get out of your body and saying, hey, I'm here, I'm here, give me attention. And you only give it attention with a, with a scratch. And that doesn't really, I guess, 
scratch beyond the surface, as they would say. Maybe that's where the expression comes from. But I would just keep scratching and scratching and scratching and scratching myself. I ended up in the emergency one night. And the doctors are looking at me like I'm crazy because they don't even see anything on my arm. They don't even see any reason why I'd be scratching, but I'm just scratching my arm like into oblivion at this point. And I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night because I'll do this in my sleep because your emotions are manifesting and I'll be scratching my arm, scratching my arm and I wake up and there can be blood on my white sheets. Of course, who else is going to choose white sheets? Someone who scratches her arms all of the time and ends up bleeding on the sheets. By the by, a good way to get blood out of something is by using hydrogen peroxide. Just pour it right on there and you can just watch as it eats it up. So yes, it's easily removed. But (laughs) that's a whole lot easier to remove than the actual problem that you're dealing with. And it's like it's trying to come out by telling you there's something in you, there's something in you that's building up. And all you're doing is scratching it and creating a bigger problem because you're not necessarily dealing with the emotion effectively. And this is what it's like for me. This is sometimes where my anxiety goes because I'm highly functional. You can watch me and see me smiling and life is good and life is great. And I could put on a show and I could perform to all of these people. And you'll never know that I'm experiencing whatever anxiety. But it comes at a cost because you're masking it up. And it takes a lot of strength to push something so powerful down and show something else. And so if you want to know how I'm doing, don't listen to what I'm saying. Look at my arm. See how many new scratch marks are on there. See how red it is in certain spots. Look for the scars that I've created and that's a pretty good indication of how I'm doing. That's for me, one of the ways that my anxiety can show up. Am I going to explain that to somebody who asks me how I'm doing? Am I going to start telling them about all of these anxieties and and stresses that I have? How un-Instagrammable of me. And you know, that's the other thing, because you can be so very sad and you can be posting these pictures to Instagram and you're presenting an entirely different worldview of yourself too and we're learning to see people we're learning to consume all of this information about people around us and all of this information that we're consuming is so edited it's so staged but at the same time This has become so natural as a behavior for us. So do you even know how you are doing? And we'll have these conversations about mental health, mental health. You need to end the stigma. You need to, you know, let's stop the stigma. I think we need to stop with the whole stop the stigma. I think that's, isn't that just really reinforcing it? So here's here's an example about a way that you can, reinforce the stigma and a way that you could stop reinforcing the stigma. So I invite this man on my show who trains dogs. He trains dogs in search and rescue. He trains dogs to help people with PTSD. He is 
an exceptional human being because he's capable of doing these exceptional things with dogs. I mean, it's really hard for us to get up to the standard of dogs, but for some for for some miraculous reason, this man has been able to do this and he has helped save many lives because, well, these dogs have helped save many lives. And so he comes into the studio, we're not on air yet, and he comes in with his dog, the man's name is George, George the trainer, and the dog, the adorable little pup tart, comes to sit directly on my feet as soon as he prances into the room. And I say, oh, that's so cute. Look at the puppet head just sitting on my feet. And George says to me, well, he's doing that because he's trained to go to people with anxiety. It helps alert the person to their anxiety if they don't realize they're having a moment where they're a bit more anxious. And it also helps calm the person down because the dog is very calming. And I thought, wow, this this dog realizes, wow, I didn't even realize in this moment that I was anxious. And so the red light on the mic comes on and I could have said something like, okay, you know what, I want to be open with you about something, something that I've dealt with for a lot of my life, and I, I, have, I have a problem. I deal with anxiety, and it's hard. And this dog just saw that I have anxiety, and so he came and sat on my feet. I could have done it like that, but instead I say, okay, this is the coolest story because this dog walks into the studio and he sits directly on my feet. Why is he sitting on my feet? Because he realizes that I have anxiety. I didn't even realize in this very moment that I do because I've been so used to dealing with it throughout my entire life. It's just part of my set behavior, my, my, my normal settings of my body. And that's the difference. If we stop saying that something is so stigmatized, it just automatically stops having a stigma. Have you ever been sad? Of course you have, right? So let's say you're having one of those days when you're sad. Maybe you're going through something rough. Maybe, maybe you're depressed. Maybe, dare I say, you're a human. So let's say you're having one of those days when you're sad or depressed, you're going through something. And then let's say someone says something bad about you or something hurtful to you or looks at you in a certain way. Maybe they didn't even mean anything by it, but you are looking at the world through a different lens now. Your world is lit differently. The same way that your face can physically look different in different light and different filters. I'm not even sure if people know what their faces look like anymore. Thank you, Instagram. But the same way your face can look different, emotions can be affected differently based upon your perspective of the world, based upon what you're going through. And I don't think anything explains this better than a story that I don't even want to explain to you, but 
I just can't even forget it. I think about this a lot, actually. I think about it quite often when I open Instagram and I look at pictures in a very different light now. It stems from a story I was covering on this teen. Her name, Madison Holleran, and she's at University of Pennsylvania, track star, all-American girl, her freshman year, and it was a lot. She sees her friends posting these happy pictures to Instagram, and she's wondering, what's wrong with me? How come all of my friends are able to adjust to this whole new world that we live in, and it's just so hard for me to adjust, to keep up? And you look at this, and, and you look at this forum that we have, this communal place where everyone gathers to check in on all of these lives from all of these people around the world that you don't even know, information about so many people that is highly curated, highly edited, and information that somehow creates this new reality around you that is far too overwhelming for what the human brain has evolved to. And so here's Madison at her freshman year trying to deal with life and she opens up Instagram and she thinks, what is wrong with me? Because everything is so right with all of these other people who are in the same situation as me. They all look happy. They're all coping. They're all smiling. And now this has become Madison's reality. Her world is dark. Her world is difficult. Her friends have no problems. They're all happy. Their worlds are filtered in Clarendon and Amaro and Juno and whatever other filters you want to use on Instagram. But Madison's high school friends who went on to university with her now, they were telling her in personal conversations that they too are struggling. They're having a tough time. They all had shared some form of their struggles with Madison in conversation. But for some reason, in her mind, the beautiful lives of her friends were presenting on social media in a way that superseded the ugly reality that they were privately sharing with her. So what did Madison do? Well, she did her best to keep up with her friends and present this happy, beautiful life on Instagram while struggling painfully in real life. Then one night, just after sunset, Madison takes a running leap off the ninth level of a parking garage in downtown Philadelphia. She was 19 years old. Just an hour before her death, Madison posted the most beautiful picture on Instagram. Life was good. Her friends were in shock. Madison had been posting images on Instagram all through her freshman year showing how well-adjusted she was, how school was going well, track was the best. She had so many friends. And they all posted those happy pictures 
that she saw on their Instagram accounts. Why? Because they were hoping to be just like Madison. All of those pictures that Madison envied, that she tried to emulate so her friends would think that she wasn't struggling. Her friends were posting those pictures so that they could look like Madison, who did not look like she was struggling. You know, I've lost four friends to suicide. Brett, Toby, Paul, David. And David, David really sticks out to me because David had the perfect life from the outside. He had a dream job. He had a dream home. He had a picture-perfect wife and kids. But something was off. And I'd been talking to him, and I felt it, but I didn't say anything. I mean, he lived in San Diego. I was in Canada's capital at the time. We were close friends as kids. We grew apart, then we reconnected. And one night, we spoke. And I was thinking, something is really off. So I called my mom to say, I was just speaking with David and, you know, something seems off and I felt very uncomfortable with it. The next day, David posts a picture on Facebook. He's in his kitchen with his wife making margaritas. He's smiling. Life is good. The next thing I know, the father of two very young kids took his life. Instead of saying to David, Hey, how are you? Really? I spoke to my mom. I spoke to my mom to ask her her thoughts on how David is really doing when I was concerned about his well-being instead of speaking to David. You know, I've talked to many people who have attempted suicide. They've been guests on my show. And there's a very common thread that connects all of these individuals. They are all so happy they lived. And had even one stranger said one thing to them before they made the attempt, they never would have tried. Kevin Hines, Kevin Hines jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. He survived. And now he goes on to save I don't know how many lives. And even he told me, had even one person said one thing to him, he made that pledge to himself, had one person said one thing to him before he jumped, he would not have jumped. Words can make a difference. How are you walking away compared to how are you really? Small talk can save a life.
on on my past radio shows, I've had this segment called Thank Good People Friday, TGPF, a take on TGIF. I don't know. I just thought of it last minute on my first Friday ever doing a, a radio show. And so people call in just to thank somebody for doing something kind for them. And the number of people who called in to tell me about a stranger who saved their life by asking, how are you? And sticking around for the reply. I actually don't even know the number of times that that happened because it was a lot and I couldn't keep track. The same way that small talk can save a life, the harm it could do should not be underestimated easily or at all. It is underestimated easily. You know, I used to have this thing that I would make fun of celebrities online. It was kind of like low-hanging fruit. People do this all the time. Kim Kardashian, Pete Davidson, whoever, right? It's easy. It's easy to tear down these people who are there in front of you but they're not connected to you in any way, so it doesn't really count, right? Because you wouldn't or you shouldn't do that about your friends, so why would you do that about a human being who has nothing to do with you? But celebrity has become almost like this fair fodder for people to make fun of. And people love to tear down celebrities. But this comes at a price. It's crazy, actually, because... People spend so much time talking about things they dislike or even hate. And this can be talking about celebrities, talking about how much you can't stand this or that about Kim or Pete or how inconsequential or trite or what have you, any of these celebrities or their actions or their appearance or their blah, blah, blah is. But one, why waste your time? Why do people have to waste time talking about things they hate when they could be spending time talking about things that they like? And two, celebrities and public figures are fair game. You can make fun of them just because they're rich, because they put themselves out there, because they don't have mental health issues to deal with. If you gave someone fighting cancer $1 million, could that make it go away? What about 10 million? Maybe 100 million? David Bowie had a net worth of $230 million and his fight against cancer still ended tragically. Anthony Bourdain, ridiculous amounts of money and fame. Did that help him? So if you gave someone dealing with mental illness $100 million or any amount of money, could that make it go away? Unfortunately, some of the most qualified people to answer that question have already taken their own lives. And this isn't about me taking a stand for celebrities. This is about taking a stand for the roughly half a billion people in this world suffering from some kind of mental illness and the billions of people it affects both directly and indirectly. And if you're keeping track, that's pretty much all the people in the world. So if you're tearing down Pete Davidson or Kim Kardashian or whomever, 
You're tearing down your friend, your neighbor, your family member, because inevitably, because inevitably, more than one person whom you care about deals with mental health issues. And to be clear, the same way everyone has physical health, everyone has mental health. And the same way everyone needs to care for their physical health, everyone needs to care for their mental health. So we should all really mind our own fitness. At a time when so many people question the values of our world, we also tend to overlook our own values when we try to deflate someone else's. You don't have to stand up for celebrities, but just stand up for something instead of knocking things down. And let's talk about the things we like instead of talking about things we hate. Talk about something nice someone did for you. Talk to someone. Ask how you are and wait for the reply. And then you might learn that it's so much easier to say how you are too. How are you? Really? Because maybe had I asked something like this before, maybe I'd have four more friends right now. So next time you see someone, ask, how are you? Really? And maybe make it a point to check in, especially on your strong friends and ask them how they are. And come say hi. Tell me how you are at Dahlia Kurtz on Instagram. Say hi, say help, say how you are, really. And thanks for being a part of this because to me, this isn't just a podcast. This is like a neighborhood. It's a global neighborhood where we can really make good things happen. And guess what? We don't even have filters here, which makes it so much better. So thanks for dropping by the Neighboralia. I'm Dahlia. Live and help live. Oh, oh, nothing rhymes with Dahlia. Nothing rhymes with Dahlia. Nothing rhymes with Dahlia. Neighboralia.